Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, it is great to be with you. If you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are with us this morning as we uh, gather for worship. And uh, the passage we're going to begin with this morning is found in 1 Samuel chapter 27. 1 Samuel 27. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. 1 Samuel 27. The passage will be projected in just a moment on the screens in front of us. If you were here with us last week, then you uh, might remember that I mentioned that beginning in chapter 27 through the end of the book of 1 Samuel, what we have are two divergent paths, uh, two divergent stories. We have the Davidic storyline that runs uh, throughout the rest of 1 Samuel, but then we also have the, the Sauline, I guess we could call it, storyline that is, is occurring concurrently. And last week we looked at one of the episodes in Saul's life, and we'll return again to Saul next week in chapter 31. But this morning we're going to return to David. We're going to turn to David, and we're going to look at uh, the remainder of his uh, storyline in this book, and we're going to look at chapters 27, 29, and 30. So that's right, three uh, chapters in uh, one sermon in less than 30 minutes. I promise I'm not crazy. <laughs> uh, it happened in the first service, so hopefully it will happen again. But, but the reason why we're looking at all three of these chapters this morning is because they fit so well together in following this single uh, Davidic arc, this narrative arc that is taking place in David's life. And when we look at this arc in his life, what we see is who and what is dictating David's life. And that's important for us to know. Because we need what David needs. We need the Lord to direct our ways. We need the Lord to direct our paths. And so we're going to look at these chapters to see how that plays out in David's life. Now, I'm not going to read all three chapters. Uh, I'm going to read just portions of each, and I'll fill in the details as we go. But before we turn to God's word, let's pray and ask him for, our, for his help. Heavenly Father, you do say in your word that your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light that guides the way. It teaches us how we are to live and shows us the paths we are to go on. You say that your word is sweeter than honey, even honey from the comb. And so we pray today that we would taste of your goodness and that we would see your beauty. That, Father, you would turn our eyes away from circumstance and situations, from the things of this world, and that we would fix our eyes on you, knowing how it is that you would have us live in this world. And so we pray that you would lead us now, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin our reading in chapter 27. We'll look at the first four verses. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So what occurs after this is David goes into the land of the Philistines. And while he's in the land, David is going to make war against the, uh, against the Amalekites. 
And in going to war against the Amalekites, what David is doing is what Saul was supposed to have done many chapters ago. You remember Saul was commanded by the Lord to make war against the Amalekites, but he refused to do so. But David, in the remainder of chapter 27, he goes to war. And so in many ways, he's functioning as the king was supposed to function. But even while he's battling against the Amalekites, there's another war that's brewing. Another war that is getting underway. And this is going to be a war between the Philistines and the Israelites. And so in chapter 28, verses 1 through 2, we read this. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are, are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So what's going on here is Achish, this Philistine warrior, he's seen how David has gone to battle and how David has been successful. And, and it turns out David's actually been too good of a warrior because this Philistine captain now wants David to go to war with the Philistines against Israel. And so David's in this strange, uh, strange situation. <laughs> Started to stumble over that P word. Uh, predicament. He's in a weird predicament. And so David, he's, he's being called on to go to war with the Philistines against Israel. But to do this as the king would have been sinful. And so David, we're not sure how he's going to get out of him. We, we don't know if David knows. He actually said, if you pay attention, you know, he said, um, he said, you will see what your servant can do. And so maybe in the back of his mind, David's thinking, I'm going to be this double agent. We'll go to war, and I'll kind of sneak up on the Philistines, and I'll take them from behind, and we'll trounce them. But what we do know is that David needs a way out. He needs God to provide a way, and what's wonderful is God does provide a way out. You see, the leaders of the Philistine army, the other captains, they see Achish and David walking out to battle, marching out to battle, and they, they understand who's with Achish, and so they go, time out, whoa, 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 Achish. We can't take David. Don't you remember who this is? This is the guy who killed thousands and ten thousands, and he's killed our own people, and now you want him to go to battle? You see, they're a little smart, right? They're smarter than Akish. Akish, you've been naive. David's going to be that double agent. He's going to sneak up, and he's going to attack us, so he can't come with us. So what does Akish say? Well, he tells David, you can't go to war. And so David responds in chapter 29, verses 8 through 11. He says this, when, uh, And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your servant until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So we hear, Akish says to David, you can't go your way. You can't go, you can't go with us. You have to go back from where you came from. But as David returns to his camp, he discovers that while he and his 600 men have been away, the camp has been sacked. 
The Israelite camp has been sacked, and, and the women and the children, they have all been taken away. And so in chapter 30, now flipping over, beginning in verse 6, when David realizes the women and the children have been taken, we read, beginning, excuse me, in verse 5, no, yes, verse 5, that David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring to me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, that being God, God answered him, Pursue for you, pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where there were those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and four hundred men, Two hundred men stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. So David takes up his arms with his men. They go chasing after these marauders. They pursue the attackers and they rescue the wives and their children. And they return to the two hundred men who are at the river, who are at this waterway. They return and they bring with them spoil. And then our reading ends beginning in verse 21. David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want us for a moment to imagine a Sunday morning. Imagine a Sunday morning, hopefully a Sunday that will be like this Sunday. I want you to imagine a Sunday when you've left church, you've left worship, and you have this wonderful renewed sense of who God is and what he's doing and how we are to live. I want you to imagine that after a morning of, of singing songs that instill truths into our hearts and, and, and hearing God's word that directs our ways and dining in celebration at the Lord's table because of his redemption, that we leave full of confidence. We walk out of the sanctuary and we talk with one another, we laugh with one another, we support one another. We get into our cars and we head home confident in who the Lord is and what he is doing. We say with our mouths, God reigns, and we sing with our hearts that Christ is king, and our spirits are full of confidence. You've had Sundays like that, right? Hopefully today would be one of those Sundays. 
right? That we leave this place and we are full of confidence in who God is and what he's doing. But then we get that email or that phone call or that message on Monday morning that the boss wants to see you in her office. And all that surety, all that hope, all that confidence that we had just maybe hours ago or minutes ago or a day ago, they, they're gone. Dried up like a puddle under hot sun and all that's left is hardened in scorched ground. And we wonder, where is that hope? Where did our confidence go? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, how a situation can change our confidence so quickly. Our confidence can be affected by our circumstances, can't it? We go from confident to wavering, from courageous to cowardly, from being sure to being anxious in just a moment. You know what that's like, don't you? Of course you do. Of course I do. David did. I mean, think back to chapter 26. You remember from a couple of Sundays ago, we looked at chapter 26, and this was David's second opportunity to kill Saul. He sneaks into Saul's camp, and he and the warrior that was with him, he stood over Saul's sleeping body, and the warrior, what did he say? He, he coaxed him. He's like, please let me just do it. I can take the spear. I can ram it through him. I'll only strike once, and we'll be done with Saul. But what did David say? Do you remember? He said, do not destroy him. As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. We can hear David's confidence in what the Lord is going to do, don't we? The Lord will strike him. He will go down and perish. You see, David knew in chapter 26 not to take matters into his own hands. He knew he could depend upon the Lord. He had hope and surety and confidence. But then we have chapter 27. One chapter later, in verse 1, we're told that David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now what's interesting is that Hebrew word there that's translated perish, it only shows up three times in the entire book, in the entire book of 1 Samuel. It shows up first on the lips of Samuel, the prophet, in chapter 12, when he says that the wicked will perish. But then the other two times it shows up, it shows up on David's lips. Here in chapter 27, but also in chapter 26 when he said that Saul would perish. And so think about that. A chapter ago, David's saying, I don't need to kill Saul. I don't need to deal with Saul. The Lord will deal with him. The Lord will strike him down. He will go down and perish. But now... David, who had been so confident, so sure that Saul would perish, now he's not so sure. Now he uses the same word to say that he will perish at the hand of Saul. So what happened? I mean, what changed in David's life? Well, what changed was that David was blinded by circumstance. You see, David stopped looking to the Lord to direct his ways, and instead he looked at his circumstances and forgot what he knew to be true. Verse 1 of chapter 27 says, David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. But the most literal way of translating verse 1 is that David said to his heart. 
You see, David's speaking to himself. And what does he say? He says the very opposite of what he knows to be true. He says the very opposite of what he's heard. Right when Samuel anointed him and declared over him that he would be the next king. Or from the lips of Abigail when she said that the Lord would make his house sure. David had heard these true things, but now when he speaks to himself, he says the opposite of what he has heard. And he says the opposite of what he's experienced. When he stood before the giant, it was the Lord who struck him dead. And when he went into battle and was victorious, it was the Lord who sustained him. And it was the Lord who preserved his life time and time again when Saul was breathing threats. David had experienced the Lord's protection and he had heard God's promises. But in this moment, he looks only at his circumstance. He looks only at his situation and he forgets the promises and works of the Lord. And he speaks to himself that which isn't true. Maybe I'm going to perish. Now we know how easy this is to do, don't we? To look at our situations, a difficult relationship, financial strain, temptation that seems only to be growing. It's easy for us to look at our circumstances and tell ourselves the very opposite of what is true. We start to wonder, is God in this? Will he care for us? Has he removed his hand of help? And our questions are wondering, they turn into assertions. God isn't in this. I better care for myself. I'm all alone. And y'all, as soon as we start doing this, we are being blinded to what is true. As soon as we start being blinded to what is true, as soon as we start making these assertions that are false, we're going to respond to our circumstances. We're going to look to someone or something else in the midst of our circumstances. And we're going to allow someone or something else other than the Lord to dictate our response. And that's what David did. David looked beyond the Lord. This one he was so sure of just a moment ago. He looks beyond the Lord. He speaks to himself. And in response to his circumstance, he looks to the Philistines. He looks to the very enemies of God for help. And think about this. He had already gone there once before. Do you remember? A few chapters ago, he showed up at Akisha's doorstep, and Akish was like, we're not having you. <laughs> and yet he comes back again because he can't imagine any longer. For this moment, he, he has lost sight of what he knows to be true, that the Lord will preserve him. That the Lord will protect him. David is blinded by his circumstance. But that's not where David remains. That's not how the story ends. Because David doesn't remain blind. Instead, he's strengthened by the Lord. So skip ahead to chapter 30. David is no longer warring in the land. War has now come upon him, though. Because as he returns to this place where he was sent back to, he discovers that the women and the children have been taken away hostage. And so while he was away, he hears of this. And what do we read? Well, in verses 6 through 8, 
David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. So just think about that for a second. David is the king to come. He is the one who has been leading this band of hundreds of warriors and soldiers, and now they're wanting to stone him. His threat is not coming from Saul. It's not just coming from the Philistines. It's coming from his own people, right? They're wanting to stone him because their women and children have been taken away. And so what does David do? Well, continue to read. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? Okay, now maybe we start wondering, like, why does David even have to ask? Right? I mean, isn't the the answer obvious? They have taken our women. They have taken our children. They are in need of protection and care. Mount up. Like, let's go, right? Isn't that what we would expect the captain, the warrior, the king to do? Let's jump on our horses, let's grab our swords, and let's save the day. But that's not what he did. At least not yet. Right? Instead, what does the text tell us? He strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? We see what it means. David seeks God's leading. Before he moves to action, David seeks God's leading, right? He calls for Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, to come. You see, David has learned that he needs the Lord's word more than his own. That he needs the Lord's directing his ways more than his circumstances. And so David seeks God's leading by turning to the priest. He calls Abiathar, come and bring the ephod. And he inquires of the Lord. Now this should sound very familiar to us. Especially if you were here last week. Because last week we had someone else inquiring of the Lord. You remember Saul? He inquired of the Lord. And he tried to utilize the Urim, right? This uh, priestly way of discerning God's will. And so he calls for the Urim to come. but, But there's no priest, remember. There's no mediator between God and Saul. And so all he hears is silence. There's no priest. Saul had turned away from the Lord. But now David, in contrast, he does go to the priest, the mediator of God, and to find out, to discover what God would have for him. You see, David seeks God's leading. And y'all, that's what we need to be doing. We don't take up arms metaphorically. We don't metaphorically jump on the horses and ride off to save the day. But we seek his leading. We seek his direction before we act. Now, of course, we don't have Abiathar. And there's no ephod like hanging in the back room over here. But we actually have someone far greater. We have someone far greater. For for the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. That he is our great high priest. That as good as Abiathar was, that as faithful as he had been, Jesus is greater. Jesus is more faithful. 
That as great as the priests may have been who came before Abiathar and the priests that would come after, none were as great as Christ. He is our great high priest. The book of Hebrews tells us that he is the one who has passed through the heavens and he sympathizes with our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way that we have but has not sinned. And this great high priest, what does he do? Well, Hebrews 4 tells us that he invites us with confidence to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. You see, because of who Jesus is, because what he has done on our behalf, we can approach the throne of grace. We can come with all of our needs and all of our worries and all of our uncertainties, and we find help and strength in time of need. See, when we come to him, we find his leading. And that's what David found. When he sought God's will, God directed his paths. When he sought God's leading, God dictated his way. You see, David was strengthened in the Lord in seeking after God's leading, but also when he strengthened in the Lord, he saw that what he had was God's gifts. So David assembled the men. He chases after the marauders. He rescues those who were captured, and he returns with the spoil. And we pick up the reading in chapter 30, verse 21. David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came nearer to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into your, our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as, is his share, as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. So you see what's going on, right? There are 200 men who are too exhausted to go to war, who are too exhausted to, to seek after these bandits, these marauders. They were too exhausted to go on this rescue mission. And so when the fighting men return, they don't want to share the spoil. Maybe this makes sense to us, right? I mean, th they earned it. They went to war. They went to battle. The spoil is theirs. Why would they share it? But notice a couple of things that David says. A couple of things that the passage tells us. Those who wanted to hold the spoil for themselves, they're called wicked and worthless. And then what does David say to them? You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. For as his share is who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stay by the baggage. So do you hear what David's emphasis is? It's on the Lord. He says it's the Lord's gift, not our earning. It's the Lord's provision, not our merit. 
The Lord is the one who has given us. The Lord is the one who has preserved us. He is the one who gave into our hand the band that came against us. You see, the situation could have easily dictated that the spoil was only for those who went to battle. But David, when he is strengthened by God, he knows that what he has, his life, his victory, his spoil, they are all from God. You see, David recognizes that they are not just for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others. He has experienced the blessing of God's gifts, and he shares that gift with the people. And y'all, that's what we're to do. That's what we're to do because that's what Jesus does with us. Do you remember in the book of Ephesians chapter 4? The Apostle Paul, he talks about Jesus, how he has ascended on high. And what he says about Jesus is that he ascended on high and he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now Paul is citing a passage from the Psalms. And what he's doing in citing this passage is he's invoking this image of the warring king who returns to his city victorious. And what the warring king would do is he would come into the city and the city would be lined with people and they would shout victory and celebrate his victory. And they would shower him with gifts. And the king could take the spoil from the battle and he could hold it for himself. But that's not what Jesus does. That's not what Christ does. You see, as Jesus rises, as he ascends into heaven as the victorious one, the one who has triumphed over sin and hell and death and the devil, the one who rises victorious and sits down at God's right hand. He doesn't take the spoil for himself, but he showers it upon his people. He gives it to you and to me so that we would serve him and serve one another. You see, friends, what we have to recognize is that everything that we have, everything that we have, from our relationships to our families, from our homes to our businesses, from our bank accounts to everything that fills our homes. Everything that we have is from the Lord. Including the greatest gift of all. And that is the salvation that Jesus has won for us. You see, friends, we are like the 200 exhausted men who had no energy to go into battle and who had to remain back and wait and see if our king would return victoriously. We are those who sat by the brook waiting to see if triumph would come. Not deserving of the spoil, not deserving of the gifts, and yet that is exactly what Jesus gives us. Because Jesus gives generously of his grace and of his gifts, and he showers us with salvation and glory. See, that's what Christ has done. I mean, do you see that he has done that for you? That you were not deserving of the gift of grace, the gift of salvation, that, that this is not a meritocracy that we live in, because all that we have earned is condemnation and death and punishment, but what Jesus has given us is grace and mercy and gifts. Do you see, that's what he's done for you and for me. And friends, when we see that that's what he has done for us, 
how can we be blinded by our circumstance? How can we let our situation turn our eyes away from our Lord instead? Whatever our circumstance and whatever our situation, we need to be strengthened by God, seeing his gifts and seeking his leading, having him, our king, the triumphant one, dictate how we live, leading us in the way that we are to go. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have given us the greatest gift of all, the gift of your Son, that you have showered us with mercy and care, with grace and kindness. You have given us that which we do not deserve, and for that we praise you. We worship you and we thank you, our triumphant King, in whose name we pray. And God's people said together, Amen.